Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. I had an experience over the last week where a couple of friends, various people started asking me, what are you doing for Halloween? What are you doing for Halloween? I kept asking, why is everyone asking me this question? Halloween isn't for a couple of weeks. I know, I know I need to get a costume for my daughter and then all of a sudden i realized as people were asking me they're actually asking me because i have a daughter who's of halloween age to start getting into all the fun elements of halloween and there's a lot of controversy around halloween so stay with me because i'm going to talk about what halloween is how to celebrate as a catholic what are the satanic elements of halloween that we need to do away with and guess what halloween's catholic it always has been. I'll explain with you why. And I think some ways to be more attentive to this season. I think it's all about fun, feasting, and teaching. That is Halloween. Fun, feasting, and teaching. So we're going to talk about that. Even some of the morbid things that we could do on Halloween that I think could spruce up the concerning, scary, spooky side without getting into the satanic witchcraft element of it. So stay with me. I'm going to talk about that a little later here on Trending. And I do want to hear from you if you have good All Saints Day for Halloween costumes, because that's the hint. We'll explain it later. I'd love to hear from you because I am going to be doing All Saints costumes because it's appropriate. And I'll talk about that later. But I think that we need some creativity. And we'll talk about that a little bit as well, both today and in the weeks to come. You're listening to Trending with Tim. If you have a question, number is 888-914-9149. And by the way, while we're talking about Halloween, we're coming up on All Saints Day and All Souls Day. And so here we are in our Theology of the Body series, if you've been with me. And we're actually talking right now about the resurrection. Pope St. John Paul II delivered over 150 catechetical talks. And in these talks, he spoke about, sorry, 130 talks. He spoke about forming a human anthropology that from the dawn of creation has always been centered upon God. Yet we try to have some scientific explanation for the human person. You can't get it right if you do it without God. And so this is what I love about the theology of the body and where we're at is the part in establishing one of the key biblical texts of theology of the body. And that centers around the resurrection. The resurrection and Jesus's call of attention to our focus. And now we read about this. We were talking earlier in the week about how we see this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we see this explanation drawn out where there's a debate between the Sadducees coming up to Jesus and trying to get him stuck on an answer about the resurrection. Because the Sadducees, well, the joke goes, they're sad because they don't believe in the resurrection. And what we'll talk about later is that St. Paul says, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then everything's fake. 
your faith is fake. It's not real. You're an imposter. It's all in vain if we get rid of the resurrection of the body. And this is what's significant even about us celebrating All Saints Day and All Souls Day in the coming weeks. So what I want to do is read from Mark chapter 12, where Pope St. John Paul II is appealing to Jesus's words in this conversation with the Sadducees, where the Sadducees have come up and said, okay, well, what about if you, if a man gets married, he dies and he leaves behind his widow? And there's a custom in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament where the next brother in line would then marry his brother's dead wife and so on and so forth, all the way down to the Sadducees giving the example of seven men who die and then the wife dies and the question is, who is she married to in heaven? And Jesus says there's actually no marriage or giving in marriage in heaven. So this is part of this whole conversation. We're going to talk about whether or not there is marriage in heaven within the broader context of what the fulfillment of the body is. It's all about the resurrection. So in Mark chapter 12, we, we read, Is not this the reason you are wrong, that you, neither, that you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they take neither wife nor husband. He then goes on to say, And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses? And a story about the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. So that's from Mark 12. That's part of Jesus' response to the Sadducees. He's saying, you don't believe enough, essentially, in the power of God. And we need to recognize that God is the God, not of the dead, but of the living. Life doesn't end in death. It's actually what ushers us into the life of the world to come, where we are made to be. Now, Pope St. John Paul II starts to look at Jesus' response here of the fact that he says there will be no taking of a husband or a wife or giving. There will be no marriage in heaven. Pope St. John Paul II says that marriage and procreation do not constitute man's eschatological future. It's a big word. Eschatology, eschatological theology, all focuses on the end times, on life after death. And so what he's saying is that the fulfillment, the end of the human person actually don't have to do with having babies and marriage. Although that's fundamental to life here on earth, maleness and femaleness are understood in a different way in their fulfillment in heaven. Maleness and femaleness are understood, and we're going to tease this out, in their totality and fullness in heaven as a virginal. God transcends our nature. He fulfills it, glorifies it, and brings it to perfection. He elevates what it means to be man and what it means to be woman. Pope St. John Paul II says, Resurrection means restoration to the true life of human bodiliness. What Pope St. John Paul II is focusing on is he's saying, understand the fulfillment of your body, the glorification of your body is in the resurrection. He says the resurrection signifies a new submission of the body to the spirit. I love that. I'm going to say that again. The resurrection signifies a new submission of the body to the spirit of our bodies to the Holy Spirit, to the will of God. And all of that is made possible through union with God here on earth. So what St. Paul and all of the New Testament focuses much on that already not yet, that we can 
be in the kingdom of heaven now. As part of the mission of Jesus Christ, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not just when you go to heaven. We can live in union with God under his reign in his domain now. And so the statement of Pope St. John Paul II from Catechetical Talk 66, he says the resurrection signifies a new submission of the body to the spirit. So there's a level of us being united to God here on earth. But in heaven, we are glorified in our, in our body, in its fulfillment before God, seeing him face to face. You see, final happiness incorporates the totality of the person in the dimension of both the body and the soul. That's why all of creation groans inwardly for the redemption of the body, as St. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. And this is why we focus very much so on the fact that the body at the end of time will be raised into heaven, just as Jesus Christ and Our Lady have their risen bodies in heaven. We don't just become spirits alone. This is part of the reason why in Mark 12, Jesus talks about how we'll be like angels in the respect that we will have our body raised on a spiritual level. We'll be spiritualized, divinized by God. There will be no longer any discord the way we experience here on earth between body and soul. Our desires will be aligned with what is good. Our desires will be aligned with God's will. God's will will be our will. There will be no longer any discontinuity between what we desire to do and what we do if we merit heaven. So then Pope St. John Paul II focuses on the words of Jesus where he says, there will be neither taking of wife nor husband in heaven. There's no giving in marriage. The fulfillment of the spousal meaning the body, Pope St. John Paul II indicates, is fully revealed in heaven as virginal. So what does that mean? What he's saying is that the glorification of the body in heaven is virginal. That doesn't mean you have to be a virgin here on earth, although that sure can help. A lot of the saints before us who walked before us have been single and virgins. Catholic Church celebrates virginity. We've actually been talking about this during the series over the last couple of months that we've lost sight of the celebration of virginity. It's almost an icky word in modern day culture or a joke today in modern day culture. Yet the glorified view of the body is from the perspective that there's no marriage, there's no procreation and generation anymore as there is with marriage and family life. Remember, marriage is fundamental to having children. It's the proper end of marriage is children because we're learning to become a gift. We're learning to give ourselves to each other in marriage to our spouses and vice versa, learning to give and receive and learning to do so all the more so with the great challenge of being parents. And so what Pope St. John Paul II is pointing to is that while there is this material dimension of understanding that sexual complementarity of maleness and femaleness that's revealed in the body that points to what Pope St. John Paul II refers to as the spousal meaning of the body as a way of living out the gift of self, that that is the totality of what life is about, of we've received everything, therefore we give everything. And the complementarity of the bodies as we see in terms of just anatomy and biology, as being like a key in a lock, points to that spiritual reality. And so the spousal meaning of the body 
is revealed in its totality in heaven as a virginal state. That sacrificial gift of self is completely lived out before the throne of God. There you live perfect charity. You live the life of God, life-giving, self-giving love. This is what Jesus Christ presented, by the way, in his virginal body on the cross. The life of God is Trinitarian. And so what we're working out here on earth is learning what it means to enter into the Trinity. That love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is sacrificial, perfect love. Caritas. Charity, agape, all words for love, not just love, but the sacrificial love of God. That's our mission here on earth. That's why we're going to talk about what our mission is in just a moment, because the virginal state of the body is the final fulfillment of the human person in heaven. Pope St. John Paul II actually keeps pointing back to this is how we understand our mission. Mariad, the goal of what we are meant to be working on here on earth. This is why he gives us this human anthropology, because he's saying, don't just look at the creation, but look at the end. Look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What do we glean from this? And he's giving us a mission and a goal to work on. Pope St. John Paul II says, the reciprocal gift of oneself to God, a gift in which a man will concentrate and express all the energies of his body and mind. Pope St. John Paul II is saying that our mission is to understand the gift we've received from God and that we're meant to give ourselves completely back to him. And he says this, that we need to make this our primary element of concentration and that we need to express all our energies on this exercise the energy of our body and mind, uniting our body and soul that as St. Paul discusses, we can become a living sacrifice. Or where we were discussing in our Theology of the Body series over the last week or two, that we become a dwelling place of God, that we become tabernacles of the Holy Spirit. See, God isn't just asking us to live the life he's calling us to. He's empowering us to do so through the Holy Spirit. And so how do we concentrate and express all of our energy, both body and mind, on making ourselves a gift to God? This is why the Eucharist is so important. Receiving Christ so that we can give ourselves back to him. Presenting ourselves to him as a living sacrifice. It's a beautiful imagery if you think about it, that when that offertory occurs during Mass, the time when... First, there's a collection basket, the money gets passed around, and then the offering of the bread and the wine are taken up to the altar. That offering is our altar. That sacrifice on the altar is a sacrifice the priest is making for us, including all of our sacrifices we're giving. So when you're there kneeling before the consecration, during the consecration, you are meant to be giving yourself to God. Everything you have, everything you own, everything you worry about, you are called to be a gift of self. And if we focus, as Pope St. John Paul II is saying, all of our energy, body, and soul and concentration to this, we're discovering the meaning of life. We are hitting on the very anthropology that Pope St. John Paul II calls the theology of the body. And this is what we see of Jesus Christ on the cross, bloody, bruised, and beaten. He gave himself in totality to God. We can experience this now. 
And I think that this is what's so profound for me in many respects about the theology of the body of Pope St. John Paul II. He's simply going through sacred scripture and pulling out the most fundamental elements pointing to what it means to be a human being. And from that, creating a blueprint for how to live the li- our lives. And that's the cross. Giving ourselves in life-giving, self-giving love. And so he's preparing us for that beatific vision where we will see God face to face. We can see him now face to face. And although somewhat of a veiled way through the reception of the Holy Eucharist, through spending time in adoration, St. Paul and the apostles, when talking about marriage, actually all thought, and even the apostles said this in Mark 10 and Matthew 19, when Jesus is talking about marriage and how marriage is for life and what God's brought together, let no person put asunder. The apostles' response is, well, then it isn't expedient to marry. Who should get married then? That sounds really difficult. It is. It's impossible for men, but with God, all things are possible. St. Paul, and I think it's 1 Corinthians 7, himself talks about how if you're not married, you should stay so and not get married. If you are married, stay married, of course. But if you're not married, don't get married. Why? Because it's easier for some to focus now on the fact that the call of God is total life-giving, self-giving love. And so you can even sacrifice that desire for sexual complementarity, married life, and children in an oblation, that gift to God himself even now. It's part for me when I discerned religious life, why it seems so reasonable that consecrated life, becoming a religious sister, becoming a priest, a brother, all of these things are supernatural vocation that take us directly to God. And grant, yes, priests, religious, nuns, all, all of them can go to hell. We can make a commitment and fail to maintain that commitment. But being in a life of prayer and adoration and mutual support of having the right vision of the human body and the human person, keeping your eyes on God and being in good company, I think sure does have a positive influence. And that's why we should be aware of who we are engaging in, in terms of our day-to-day friendships and relationships. But I find it interesting that Pope St. John Paul II is pointing us in a direction to what gives interior peace and fulfillment. He talks about how there's psychological healing in understanding this union of body and soul and a gift of self. This is where Pope St. John Paul II tells us that we can be saints here and now. We're glimpsing heaven now if we're living in a state of grace and striving to make our life, our body, everything a living sacrifice to God to be an indwelling of the Holy Spirit, to be that living tabernacle. And so this brings us to where Pope St. John Paul II in the Theology of the Body series starts to look at St. Paul's anthropology of the resurrection. And Pope St. John Paul II points to 1 Corinthians 15, which is a fantastic chapter. I hope you'll do this for homework of reading the full chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, focusing on the resurrection of Christ, the dead, and the body. In 1 Corinthians 15, St. Paul, remember, in sacred scripture, all of it is the inspired word of God, says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain, and also your faith is in vain. 
Then he goes on to say, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. So St. Paul is saying, if Christ hasn't been raised, if the resurrection didn't occur, then all of my preaching is a mute. It's in vain. Your faith is in vain. It's pointless. This is significant because St. Paul's core understanding of his faith, remember, he was a convert from Judaism. He was a convert who significantly persecuted the Jews. And St. Paul first converted with an encounter with the risen Lord. He was knocked off his horse at Damascus. Read the story. So he knows Jesus Christ in his risen state. That's his vision of Jesus Christ. What an incredible vision. Jesus Christ's resurrection reveals the final end of the human person, our fulfillment, body and soul united. This is why St. Paul talks about how we're imperishable, glorious, and full of power, spiritual in Christ. The body and soul are united, imperishable, glorious, full of power. Without Christ, without the resurrection, we're perishable, we're weak, we're in dishonor, we're a slave. We were talking about Mark 12 earlier, and Jesus emphasized that God is God, not of the dead, but of the living. How do we see this? At the burning bush, God presents himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God does not say those people are dead, they don't matter. No, he's saying they're alive, and they were created to be with me, and there is life after death. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26 St. Paul says the last enemy to be destroyed will be death. And he juxtaposes Adam and Christ. There's death in Adam, but we're alive in Christ. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he goes on to say, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. I love this phrase. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Are you ready? We tend to think that death will happen at the end of our life, and we think we'll live a long, God-willing, happy life. But our life could be taken in an instant at any point in time. I love this phrase, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. St. Paul's talking about the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of Christ. The greatest thing that could happen would be union with God in heaven. It may happen today, it may happen tomorrow. Whenever it happens, I pray that it's in a state of grace. St. Paul says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's in Romans chapter 8. Right now, there's this disunity in the world and ourselves because of our fallen human nature and our need for God. But Pope St. John Paul II says, the human body carries in itself the potentiality of the resurrection. I love that. The human body carries in itself the potentiality of the resurrection. That God's waiting to work on us. He is working on us, but sometimes we just don't cooperate. In 1 Corinthians 15, St. Paul says, What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. That is, what we try to do on our own, it's fleeting. It passes. It goes away. What do we go to our grave with? Nothing. What do we take to heaven? Nothing. But what is raised, what is given up to God, is imperishable. We must learn to become a gift of self. This is possible through life in the Spirit. This is why Theology of the Body, Pope St. John Paul II says in the 72nd talk, if we remain under the influence of the Holy Spirit 
man is spiritual and produces the fruits of the Spirit. In other words, what are some of those fruits of the, of the Holy Spirit? There are 12 of them. Peace, joy, gentleness, kindness, goodness. I want that. This is joy, the fulfillment of the body, the fulfillment of all our desires. So when we talk about the resurrection, it's a part of our human anthropology. There is no life in God without death. Speaking of which, we're going to come back talking about Halloween in just a moment. Next week in our Theology of the Body series, we'll dive into celibacy for the kingdom of heaven. And maybe you don't understand celibacy. We'll talk about it as a view of the human person that is reasonable, not unreasonable, as some people like to say, that it will cause problems. It's just not the case. It'll be a great conversation. I can't wait for us to dive into that. But what's the Catholic take on Halloween? I will be right back to discuss. What's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Halloween. Oh boy, what a topic. So I've been thick in the last week or two in the research on Halloween because I've had a lot of people ask me recently, what are you doing for Halloween? What are you doing for Halloween? And I realized they're wondering because I have a kid who is coming up on the Halloween years. And here's a question. Can you celebrate Halloween as a Catholic? I have come across two extremes on this and I reject both of them. One extreme is yes and anything Halloween goes. The other one is no, and you avoid it like the plague. And a lot of people that I respect on both sides of the spectrum just didn't quite have a satisfactory answer for me. And I think that, you know, I grew up homeschooled. I hate to say it sometimes because people love to poke fun at homeschoolers. Uh, But I grew up with celebrating Halloween, All Saints Day, All Souls Day. We had some great All Saints Day parties. And here's the deal. Halloween is Catholic. And so these two extremes of everything goes and you do all things Halloween and the other extreme of you have to avoid Halloween like the plague, they're both wrong. Halloween is Catholic. So what does that mean and how do we celebrate this feast day? Well, Halloween comes from All Hallows' Eve, which is, as you know, in in our church, is the eve, the evening before November 1st, All Saints' Day. We pray in our Father, hallowed be thy name, holy be thy name, All Saints Day. A reference to it is a Hallows Day, a Hallows Eve. So it's a feast day that begins the evening before. This is why in the tradition of the church, we have vigil masses, such as the Saturday vigil mass before Sunday mass. We start the liturgical celebration the evening before. Even properly speaking, when we fast, we're supposed to start fasting the evening before. So The whole Halloween debate is part of the culture war. Halloween is Catholic. We could talk about the satanic influence, which we will in a minute. We could even talk about the Protestant rejection of Halloween here, especially in the United States, because it was too Catholic. And that's part of the reason why Halloween gets a bad rap. Also, more concerning today is Halloween gets a bad rap because there are very frightening things happening on Halloween that we need to have 
nothing to do with, which means maybe I know there's going to be some cringing here, but hear me out. Maybe we need to do away with some of the decorations that we use and embrace more of the spooky decorations that we can use. So what should we do on Halloween? We're supposed to have fun, feast, and teach. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But first, here was my big concern why I started diving into the research on Halloween. Is it satanic? Is it full of witchcraft? Is it a holiday, a primary day for Satanists, Wicca, etc.? Is it just full of the occult? Well, look at the decorations today. I think you and I can both acknowledge, no matter your take on Halloween, that the occult has influences has a great influence from tarot cards to the decoration with witches to some of the movie content. I'm all about some good spooky content, but a lot of what we see is does just does not jive with our faith. And we talked about this this week, the conversion of Kat Von D earlier this week, talking about energy and crystals earlier this week. We have some great conversations. In fact, we'll link to all these episodes on social media and we'll continue to talk about it leading up to Halloween. So let's talk about it. Is Halloween satanic? Well, no, Halloween's Catholic, but Satanists, Wicca, and the occult try to usurp everything that is holy and Catholic. And just think about it. The major satanic feast days occur in the spring because they're an inversion of Easter. They happen around, yes, the equinox and patterns of the moon and the sun, but they're literally culturally appropriating Catholicism, and it's all counterfeit. Their sacrifice is everything. They imitate what Catholicism is and flips, flip it on, the back, on its back. So here's what's frightening. October 31st is celebrated as the Magic New Year for Wicca, witchcraft, Satanists, all of that. And if you think that that doesn't actually exist and isn't real, we've got our heads in the sand. All of Sacred Scripture countless times talks about this, and we spoke about this earlier in the show on Monday about the reality of Wicca witchcraft, so be sure to listen to that episode if you haven't. It's not a joke. So here's the deal. October 31st is celebrated as the Magic New Year. It's a day, and I was actually just talking to a friend the other day. She has a, a, a mutual acquaintance who works at a university here in Southern California. This woman is a minister of all religions and is also a witch. And she loves Halloween because it's a day that they use to cast hexes and do things, bad things, to good people, to people they don't like. We need to be aware and be weary, but that doesn't mean we throw Halloween out the door. Just because they're trying to appropriate Halloween or just because they chose October 31st, which is All Hallows Eve, to do that doesn't mean that we just reject Halloween. We celebrate the saints. We do what Halloween is meant to do, what All Souls Day is meant to do. All Saints Day is celebrating church triumphant, the saints who are in heaven in perfect union with God and eternal happiness. Of course, Satanists don't want us to think about that. They want us to think about the macabre. They want us to think about things that fall far from the celebration of the people who have conformed their lives to God in perfect union and now live in heaven. Let Christ and his saints conquer on Halloween. Don't let the satanic elements 
that occur be what conquer. And by the way, it isn't even the major satanic feast day. Again, those happen in the spring and inversion of Easter. October 31st, well, yes, is marked by the Satanists as a magic new year in Wicca. It's just a reminder for us of what First Peter says. In First Peter 5, St. Peter, the first pope, who, by the way, abandoned Christ at the cross, yet learned his lesson, learned the importance of union, conformity, and showing up for Christ. St. Peter says this in 1 Peter 5, Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around the world like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering is required of your brotherhood throughout the world. St. Paul is saying, stay sober and alert. Your opponent, the devil, is prowling about the world seeking someone to devour. That's you. That's your children. That's our Catholic culture. Don't let Satan reign on Halloween. Let All Halloween be All Hallows Eve, the celebration of the saints, and right before we usher in All Souls Day as well on the 2nd. But here's what's interesting, what what St. Peter says in 1 Peter 5. He says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering is required of your brotherhood throughout the world. What does that mean? There are things that we are going to have to give up, that we don't want to give up, that might seem fun and interesting or might be what everyone else does or a family member might associate as harmful, but Satanism, witchcraft isn't meant to be joked about. And this is a lesson I'm learning and waking up to more so than I have before. Because when we see that there are these major feast days that Wicca and witchcraft have influenced, maybe we need to be aware to not expose ourselves or to push forward that agenda at all. So what do we do? Let's talk about the fun because there's a lot of fun here, but I did have to address the satanic dimension of what's happening at Halloween and why some people run away from it justifiably so. So what should you do? Have fun, feast, and teach. So let's talk about some of the teaching and and fun. Let's try some wholesome spookiness because that's what can be done on All Hallows' Eve. So first of all, teaching idea, three places you can be after death, heaven, hell, or purgatory. Make sure your kids, your family, all know about it. Read up on the teaching of heaven, hell, and purgatory. In fact, we have some great episodes here on Trending where we talk about heaven, hell, and purgatory. We'll link to some of those episodes because I think it's important that we do. Now, death isn't a bad thing. Murder is bad. Yet today, we tend to try and baby kids even about the reality of death. Death isn't murder. Death can't, some deaths are murder, but this is kind of, we have this weird aversion to death and talking about animals, bugs, or even people dying. And I think it's causing a problem about how we view ourselves, our lives, resurrection of the body. If death is a good thing and that we need to die to be with God, don't you think we should acknowledge it as such? And I tease my husband because there have been times where there are books and children's books where it talks about death. I think there was a book about a dragon and a little kid conquered a dragon. I remember he kept trying to say, oh, the dragon's just asleep. And I'm like, no, the dragon's dead. And he's so sweet. He has such a gentle heart for my daughters. But I'm like, let's not sugarcoat it. He's like, you're right. You're right. It's just a morbid word that we tend to avoid as a culture. So again, talking about death, 
heaven, hell, and purgatory after death are a great teaching moment. And that can even be depicted in our crafts, arts, and decoration. So the reality is, is that we have two out three elements to the church. There's a church triumphant, the church militant, and the church suffering. This is another great teaching point. The church triumphant are who we're celebrating on All Saints Day. Those who have gone before us triumphantly in the grace of God, in the state of grace, and who now live with God in heaven. The church militant are you and I here on earth, still working through what we have to be purged of to enter into heaven with God. And the church suffering, those are the people in purgatory who we need to pray for, hence the celebration of All Souls Day, intervening for those loved ones who have gone before us. So let's talk about celebrating the saints, acknowledging the resurrection, acknowledging death, and even acknowledging the suffering on All Hallows' Eve, Halloween. So it's a Catholic holiday, so pray for the dead on All Souls Day, but acknowledge death on Halloween as well, especially for kids. This is accommodating where they're at and using this, this trifecta, which is really cool. You have three days to really use a pretty cool feast day of Halloween and then All Souls Day and have this three day of like really focused, concentrated understanding of the human person, the human body. As a kid, I loved it. We celebrated Halloween. We celebrated All Saints Day. We celebrated All Souls Day. We went to Mass, which was fundamental both on All Saints Day and on All Souls Day. So acknowledge that there's life after death. This isn't all there is to life here on earth, and that can be depicted in Halloween decorations. People tried to reject that there's any judgment as well. You can talk about judgment. Celebrate the resurrection of the body. We talked about the resurrection of the body here on the show earlier. And just briefly, before we get into more of the fun elements and the decorations, um, soul cakes are something that historically, they've kind of been skewed now, soul cakes were given in Europe as a tradition where someone would give you a soul cake on All Hallows' Eve or leading into specifically All Souls' Day, and you would take that cake and you'd eat it, but you'd also pray for the family members, the deceased family members of the the person who gave it to you. So it was a way to pray for the dead and soul cakes. There's some weird descriptions people have of that, but that's kind of one of those neat traditions that people had. Now, here's a fun, somewhat creepy tradition that I think would be really neat. And I challenge you to do so. Cemeteries. Have you ever, do you ever visit a cemetery? Do you have deceased family members you wish you went? Well, go. We have a very big extended family. There's been a lot of death ever since I was a child. Very sorrowful experiences of death, horrific experiences, but also people come to the end of their life. Some children have died. We've had a lot of funerals in our lifetime, and we have a lot of family buried at some of the same cemeteries. Now, here in California, I've noticed cemeteries are very, like, um, sanitary and pushed away from being commonplace or visual, it was interesting living in the Midwest. There were cemeteries everywhere. And it was really neat because it was an opportunity every time I prayed or passed pa- passed by these cemeteries all over on my various commutes, even multiple cemeteries, to pray for the dead. I love that prayer. If you don't know it, teach it to your family. We pray it as part of our um grace before meals. And it's may the souls of the faithfully departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. 
Amen. And it's a great prayer that you should pray whenever you pass a cemetery. I actually lived across the street from a cemetery for a year. That was neat as well. We'd go walk around the cemetery. It's actually part of where my daughter first learned where to walk. And it was a great place to look at different names for name ideas for kids, especially it was an older cemetery. Uh, but take an annual cemetery visit. Maybe this is something you do, maybe on Halloween, maybe you wait to do it until All Souls Day, but it can be encouragement to take that time to go to a cemetery. Normalize death. Death is not a bad thing. Murder's a bad thing. Death is necessary for entrance into heaven. And so this is one of those morbid things that it might even creep your kids out a little bit. It might creep you out a little bit, but why is that? I challenge you to ponder that. Why are we afraid of death? Now, some challenges on the hol- at, at any holiday, Christmas and Halloween, I guess we could use even Easter as examples of letting the material supersede the spiritual. Remember, we're body and soul, so it's great to feast as a Catholic, sweets and all, but it's also important to remember and to mark with our decorations, our speech, our music, and our fun activities, the element of the actual feast day. And this is Halloween, All Hallows Eve, as I've explained earlier. So don't reduce these feast days to material events and don't endanger the soul with celebrations of witchcraft. Let's elevate and edify our souls with truth. So I want to come back and we're going to talk about decorations during Halloween. I think this is a great place to look at the fun and the spooky and see the elements of All Hallows Eve here in our Halloween celebrations. We'll be right back on Trending with a Catholic take on how to celebrate Halloween because Halloween is and always was Catholic. So let's take it back. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. What is Halloween and how do you celebrate Halloween as a Catholic? Well, if you missed the rest of the episode, you need to go and listen to this episode on the podcast, Trending with Timory, wherever you catch your podcasts, or even better, the Relevant Radio app or relevantradio.com, and send a link of this episode. Someone who's struggling with what Halloween is, how to handle it, maybe they think you shouldn't celebrate Halloween, send this episode to them because I've been deeply dissatisfied. I find that there are two extremes with regard to how to celebrate Halloween. There's the extreme as a Catholic of, yes, everything and anything Halloween goes. And then the, no, you avoid Halloween like the plague. Both are wrong. And I talked about why people are concerned about Satanism with regard to Halloween, some of the Protestant rejection to Halloween. And it's all important, just like a brief summary. And I really do hope you listen to the full episode if you missed it. October 31st is celebrated as the Magic New Year, and they do creepy crap. Satanism, Wicca, that's all real, and it's on the rise. We need to reject that, and we'll talk about Halloween decorations in a moment. But the rejection, in many respects, to Halloween was based on a Protestant rejection of Halloween because it was too Catholic, and so 
they rejected it. So here we are going to talk about some of the fun elements of the decorations of Halloween because we talked more about the history before and how Halloween is all about fun feasting and teaching. It is the eve of All Hallows Eve. All Hall- it's called All Hallows Eve because it's the eve of All Saints Day. Remember, hallowed be thy name. We pray that in our Father all the time. That is what is holy. So we're celebrating what is holy, and that is the saint, the saints we know and love. So let's talk about decorations. We want to avoid everything that celebrates the occult. I I don't have to spell that out to you. Everything from tarot cards to witches, wizards to things including Ouija boards and all of that needs to be thrown out the door. This is a great time, as I mentioned earlier, to talk about the teaching of the church that death is a good thing. Death isn't bad. Murder is bad. That we have three places you go after death, heaven, hell, or purgatory, the reality of death. In fact, decorations can turn to that Catholic tradition of memento mori, that is, remember your death. Remember you will die. Remember to die. Memento mori is a great reminder. In fact, we have a whole history of Catholicism where many of the saints even kept skulls, even skulls that they would drink out of, to put the focus of the reality of death. So let's put focus at Halloween on the celebration of the saints. Put focus on the reality of death and the afterlife rather than celebrating a satanic holiday. Ghosts and skeletons can be great. They're, they mark the resurrection of body of the body and remembering our death. Those are great. Remembering our death with skulls and tombs. But switch the witches for the skeletons. Do away with them. I know that might seem a little difficult, But if you have a tug or pull to not get rid of the witches, something's up. We don't mess around with witchcraft. It's time to go. Satanism is on the rise. Wicca is on every single college campus, and it's just growing. Uh, Nearly 50% of all 13 to 25-year-olds are now wearing energy crystals, and that's a part of practicing witchcraft. Let's do away with it. It's so normal among young people today. Why even make it a fun element or if for some reason you're married to witches, just again, switch the witches for the skeletons. And hey, we can even be spooky. I mentioned earlier and you'll laugh, but even making this time because you have the trifecta, Halloween, All Hallows Eve, celebrate it. You have All Saints Day, which Halloween is an extension into the evening before because we believe in vigils of All Saints Day. But then you have All Souls Day. So this is a great time to go and visit a cemetery. Have, again, those decorations of skulls and tombs. You really want to be spooky? This would be great. Put out some St. Alphonsus Liguori quotes for people to contemplate as they're going trick-or-treating. I'm not saying I have or would do this, but if you really want to be spooky, I mean, just think about some of these. Uh, Here's one. The past is no longer yours. The future is not yet in your power. You have only the present wherein to do good. Here's another one. The principal torment and which will constitute hell will be the pain of the loss, that is, the pain of having lost God. Now, St. Alphonse Liguori, inciting St. Augustine, says that he who sins with the intention of repenting afterward is not penitent, but a mocker of God. So those are some fun quotes. One of my favorite books, by the way, this would be a great time to read it, is called Preparation for Death by St. Alphonsus Liguori. I hope you will read 
this book. We're going to post a link to it on social media because this book is fantastic. It is life-changing. And if you want to talk about something spooky, forget all the movies. Just read that book. That'll give you a good cleanup of your life. Here's a good question. Are you sinning by dressing up as something other than saints on Halloween? No. But I think we're missing this great feast day in the church if we allow Halloween, just like Christmas and Easter, to be commercialized. We need to see the celebration of body and soul. Enjoy the treats. Enjoy the goodies, the fun activities. But do away with the witchcraft. Do away with anything that celebrates that. But also, here's my mindset. Because I've been thinking a lot about this. And this is why I've dove into the research. Kids can dress up any other day of the year as whatever they want. We should cultivate imagination costumes. You should buy your kids plenty of costumes if they want them. The the imagination is so good. But don't save that for Halloween. Let kids be kids any day. Save Halloween, All Hallows Eve, to celebrate All Saints Day. And so let Halloween be the Catholic holiday it is. Use it as an opportunity to get creative and make All Saints Day costumes. Now, this is going to be a major major stretch and challenge for me as a parent because I am not creative and artsy. I can do crafts and follow directions. I can't draw for the life of me, Uh, but this is going to be a challenge for me. But I was reading some great ideas from the Catholic All Year Compendium book by Kendra Tierney, and she had some great examples of Halloween costumes. And I was just looking at this from, like, the morbid things that kids want, such as St. John the Baptist. You can carry around a plate with a created head on it. There are even things such as, oh, this is great, St. Isaac, uh, St. Isaac Hoag's in Companions. He has a hooded black robe, rope belts, a cross made of sticks and twine, and a bloody cardboard tomahawk that's glued to his headband. So there are great ways to do this. I think, by the way, the Catholic All Year Companion book is great. She has all kinds of really neat examples. And even if your kid wants to dress up as St. Gianna Mola, she was a doctor. She was a modern saint. St. Luke was a physician. So there are lots of things. If your kids want to dress up as certain things, you can tie it into a particular saint. And if you're wondering how to make a costume, look up the saints, look up the saints' feast cards, um, And with those saints cards, you can come up with a lot of like key elements for this. And this could be tied into All Saints Day's party. We'll have to talk about that another day. But are you sinning by dressing up as something other than saints? No, but I really do think we're missing this great feast day in the church. Kids can dress up any other day of the year as whatever they want. Help work on their creativity and imagination. Even some of the more morbid All Saints costumes, you can come up with them. Look up ideas. There's a whole plethora of All Saints Day costume ideas online. But get creative with the saints. I think this is a great time to enjoy in some spooky fun, but that actually addresses the reality of heaven, hell, purgatory, the church, militant, triumphant, and suffering, the reality of death, and to reject any of the commercial side that even indulges in Satanism. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Have you joined me for a weekly happy hour? This Monday, we'll talk about how much outdoor activity we actually need and why studies show that going to the park will make you happier. Also, what's getting in the way of young women's happiness today? Join me, 6 p.m. Central, on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app as we talk about happiness.